Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, your week in IndyCar listener Q&A show. Days before the beautiful, beautiful Grand Prix of St. Petersburg. I cannot wait. I really can't. And I get to go for the first time since 2019. Uh, I am Marshall Pruitt. I cover IndyCar for a living. Also sports cars, but now almost exclusively IndyCar. If you're listening for the first time, thanks. Thanks for joining in. We have a fun little community here. There's a, a group of listeners that call themselves the Pruday, P-R-U-E-D-A-Y. And they even have a group, a, uh, a collective you have any interest in joining them joining in on the fun the bench racing talking about the show indycar sports cars whatever else you just want to get to know some some new friends who like racing i know as a kid yeah i sure felt isolated because while i grew up in a racing family my father was a mechanic owned his own shop was also an amateur racer yeah, there was pretty much nobody else on the block, nobody else nearby. Maybe there were some others in the little town that I grew up in that were racing fans, but really didn't have, uh, quote, racing friends. So if you're looking for some, send an email. Prudayrocks, P-R-U-E-D-A-Y-R-O-C-K-S at gmail.com, and they will induct you into the group and hopefully you'll uh, make some new friends have some fun i am told by one of the members there matt philpot that the pruday indycar fantasy league group is alive and is looking for any and all who want to join in and be part of the pruday indycar fantasy uh effort so send that email and someone will uh, help you join there so Love IndyCar. Can't wait to see what we have coming. 26 full-time entries kicking off here at St. Petersburg. Also have the Road to Indy, which is amazing. All brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Road to Indy. All the vehicles on the Road to Indy use Cooper Tires. And guess what? They were our original show sponsor and remain one of our two primary sponsors today. So huge thanks to cooper tires and also the justice brothers their automotive and racing chemicals and lubricants big part of my life ever since i became a young mechanic and even before that no joke i don't know if i've ever mentioned this part but it is true uh the person who i ended up crewing for my very first time ever in racing junior open wheel back kind of the mid-tier of what we would say the road to indy was uh, in the, the mid-1980s, before the road to Indy existed. But the person who I started crewing for, I knew since I was like seven or eight years old, a guy by the name of Mike McHugh, because he was the local Bay Area uh, distributor of a variety of things. But one of the main things he distributed, Justice Brothers products. So I got to know him as a seven, eight, nine-year-old. And him coming to my dad's shop, uh, Pruitt's Old English Garage in Burlingame, California, dropping off boxes and boxes and boxes of Justice Brothers brake cleaners and fuel additives and all kinds of stuff. So, like, really, it's so cool to have the Justice family part of this 
podcast now for what I think four or five years, knowing that like legitimately they've been a part of my life forever. So last thing to note here, a massive thank you to torontomotorsports.com, motor racing memorabilia, all kinds of great stuff. They do a ton of show content. So t-shirts and stickers and hats and whatever, all surrounding the week in IndyCar podcast in general, the weekend sports car show that I do. So pay him a visit, a lot of IndyCar stuff, a lot of stuff in general. You just might enjoy. So we've covered off the Prue day. We've covered off the IndyCar fantasy league that they're jumping into. What else should I tell you about? You know, so here's something I will be doing at every IndyCar event I attend this year. I won't be able to attend all of them, but I know I'll be at St. Pete, Texas, Long Beach. Not sure if I'm going to get to Barber. I'll be going out for the uh, IMS Open Test. Uh, should be there for the Indy GP race. Then the rest of the month of May, and on and on and on. Uh, I'm going to be doing more of the let me show you stuff behind the scenes videos that I really made an effort to crank out over the last couple of rounds in 2021. And if you like them, tell me what else you'd like to see. So in my mind, I think this hashtag will work. Hashtag MP show me so my initials marshall pruitt show me so hashtag mp show me and that will make it really easy for me to track this and look at the suggestions and as time permits probably with just my iphone uh, i'll go over and try and show you the thing i mean last year we looked at a variety uh, of stuff how things worked some little insider pieces of, of things going on, showing you some stuff that maybe doesn't readily make the broadcast or otherwise. So uh, if you don't have any idea of what you want to see right now, not a problem. I have a couple of these planned for Thursday when I'm on the ground at St. Pete. And so I think at that point, I'll just try and start sharing the hashtag MP show me thing. And maybe based on what you see, it could even be just a quick little interview with someone that I run into um, give me some ideas. Ultimately, I'm here to do stuff for you. <laughs> it's really that simple. Granted, I'm also here to feed the cats and take care of my wife. But since I'm going to racetracks, those are a little bit harder, 3,000 miles away. But so that's one thing that's new that I'm going to be doing. So hashtag MP show me will be the deal. And other than that, before we jump into your questions, all put together by our, our dear pal, Jim Kaiser. I just wanted to mention this because I thought it was funny. And there you go. Um, was at a fairly busy afternoon of my wife's appointments on Friday. Normally when we travel, I bring a small, call it travel laptop, just something small if I need to do some work, which I often do while sitting in the car waiting at one of her appointments. Uh, that's what I do. Said, hey, it's Friday. Like, really? Uh, I got nothing that I need to do right now. Not bringing it. Naturally, within, no joke, about seven minutes of getting to our first appointment, I get some texts saying, hey, Michael Andretti's dad. Hey, Mario Andretti is uh, 
spilling some beans on stuff on Twitter. And what the heck? What's going on? Is it real? And so those were the texts that I got. And I then said, why didn't you bring your laptop, you idiot? <laughs> so here's the fun part. Here's the quick little anecdote to, uh, to close. Well, how better to find out if Michael Andretti's purported plans to get into F1, as mentioned by his father on Twitter, if all that's accurate, then call in the guy in question. And so I called Michael. So the expectation, as is often the case with stuff like this, kind of out of left field news that doesn't come directly from the person involved in that news, is for that person to not answer. <laughs> that is 100% the expectation. Nonetheless, you still make the call. But you know ahead of time, they're not going to want to talk. They're not going to pick up. And again, it's the norm. I call Michael. Picks up on the first ring. Hey, Marshall, what's up? We'd spoken, I don't know, like five days before about some other stuff. And so the tone of the the pickup by michael perfectly nice and kind was just more of a like oh hey man you know what else is up like oh is there something else we didn't cover when we last spoke it was just kind of a picking up where we left off tone again on the first ring and i'm like wow uh, what that surprised me and so i said i'm like oh hey <laughs> i didn't think you were gonna answer he's like why what's up to which my mind starts spinning going, what do you mean? What's up? And I said, your dad. And he's like, oh, what did my dad do now? And I'm going, aha, he doesn't know. Michael has no clue. Ah, <laughs> oh, poor guy. I little did I know. That's why he picked up on the first ring. Little did I know. I'm like, okay, let me be the bearer of news, I guess. And so I pulled up the tweet on the phone uh, and read it to him. And his immediate response was, thanks, Dad. Like a defeated kind of like, oh, what are you doing? So I know that uh, I read a thing from a couple folks like, oh, well, this is all orchestrated, right? I'm just telling you, by his tone, this was not orchestrated. Plus, again, uh, he sure wouldn't have answered if, if he knew the reason for the call. So Anyways, little funny thing, little meaning, meaningless thing. But yeah, calling Michael randomly on a Friday uh, to ask about something I figure you never want to talk about and picks up on the first ring. He's like, hey, what's up? Uh, uh, oh, thanks, Dad. And so he couldn't talk, wouldn't talk. Uh, again, as expected, uh, he did do me the, the solid, though, of uh, when I said, hey, man, you know, I know you can't comment, but can you at least tell me, you know, on the record whether it's real or not? So he gave me that little quote of it's real. End of story. But nonetheless, uh, yeah, when your dad is like the greatest of all time. Sorry if I'm talking Valley guy here, but I slip into it, even though I'm not from Southern California. But yeah. Uh, when your dad is like the greatest of all time and a formula one world champion and any 500 winner and multiple cart champion and won his class at Le Mans, and he won the Daytona 500. Well, guess what? When you are Mario freaking Andretti and you have a smartphone and a Twitter account 
and thumbs, you do whatever you damn well please. So, anyways, that's that. Uh, you know, gonna get the music bed going here. Try and do a little over an hour. Uh, been genuinely writing nonstop for many days here. At last count, I think I've pooped out 10 to 11,000 words about IndyCar, uh, stuff for the Wednesday edition of Racer's Mailbag, which is pretty much all IndyCar. And I've got a lot of other IndyCar stuff to write before I get on a plane and go to St. Pete. So not going to go for crazy long tonight. Uh, you know, also, uh, going to try to do one or more Twitter spaces. Uh, I know that some of you are active listeners, if not participants in uh, the little Twitter audio platform. And I'm going to try and add that in because while I can't guarantee it's going to be a regular constant thing, I have always disliked the one aspect about doing a podcast, and that is sometimes something cool happens the day after it gets published. And if you do a weekly one like this, you sit around for six days or however long waiting to talk about it. Or if I'm at the track and I'm sitting down BSing at wherever and I'm chilling with Jer Hildebrand or Sebastian Bourdais or name someone far more interesting than I, hey, if I got nothing else to do and the other person's got nothing else to do, uh, or if it's just me, uh, we got 5, 10, 15 minutes, try firing one off. See how that goes. So we'll look for feedback. Expect the first couple to suck. Expect them all to suck, but be pleasantly surprised. But yeah, going to give that a shot, and we'll see if that's something that has any uh, stickiness to uh, become a regular feature going forward all right let's get rolling with your q a surprise surprise we have a whole bunch of season predictions uh, uh you know i i have said many times i am the worst prognosticator ever nonetheless y'all send in the hey how do you think this is gonna happen and who's gonna do this and I just answer for amusement, not out of any degree of expertise. Plus, I hate that stuff. The This is going to be the rankings at the end of the year, and here's who's going to win all the races, and, like, just shut up. Like, seriously, uh, you're not God. I'm not God. Can't predict the future. Don't know this stuff. Why would I waste your time? This is the person that's going to win at Road America. <laughs> like, <laughs> like anything I'd have to say, or anyone else would have to say, is going to be anything more than either verbal or written uh, playing with yourself. So anyways, uh, that's just my little caveat. Like, So I know that on occasion I do pick season champions and Indy 500 winners when asked and it's all done with the full knowledge that I'm going to be totally wrong and why would you ask me I'm no smarter than anyone nonetheless Brian Burrell says all right MP I've got Colton Herta uh this weekend 
and winning the overall championship. Says I'm taking Graham Rahal for an overdue 8500 win and his rookie teammate for rookie of the year, Devlin DeFrancesco. He says, what says you? He says, I'm sure I'm wrong, and I feel like Katie Kyle and you should do a preseason bet once again. We did do a couple of those, and I don't know if they ever went anywhere, but uh, I do miss doing those with Katie just because, you know, further proof of idiocy on my part at least. Uh, I think the Colton call is not a bad one for the season. Uh, he's been the guy that nobody can solve at St. Pete, so I think you're making two pretty good suggestions here. Granted, there are other drivers who've won at St. Pete and others who want to win for the first time at St. Pete. So, again, if we're just looking at trends, recent trends, you'd be silly to not uh, put some money on Colton. But did you see how last season went and the year before where (laughs) you had to defy everything and everything seemed to defy predictions? So... I love the fact that we have, hey, just got a text from Tim Sender. Um, I love the fact that we have amazing drivers who can absolutely win seemingly almost everywhere we go. And I do love the fact that, yes, if you are going by recent data, uh, that's the guy to choose for St. Pete. Man, what makes IndyCar so incredible is Boy, I feel for you if you're going all in on those kinds of things because Joseph Newgarden wants you to lose, Brian, any money you would put on Colton Herta. So does Scott Dixon, Alex Pillow, Willpower, blah, blah, blah. Run down the list. Can't wait. Cannot wait to see how things play out there. Indy 500, I have no idea. Again, I'm going to say Newgarden because i just really love to see him get an Indy 500 uh, because... He's already done two championships. think that there are plenty others. I mean, look, I'd love to see Graham. I'd love, I mean, I can't think of anybody I wouldn't want to win the Indy 500. Ed Carpenter, obviously. I would feel bad for Ed if he retired without an Indy 500 win. That's, that's his jam. So I'm with you. But Joseph, Colton, Palo, right? Hey, uh, Sato, right? I know he's driving for a smaller team, but coins cars are pretty darn good there. Uh, what about Rossi? Rossi could easily be a two-timer. And coming off of Austin Sendrick winning the Daytona 500, I mean, Christian Lingard, first-time winner and Indy 500 winner, uh, right? Who knows? So I don't know, man, uh, but let's keep going. Andrew Miller. He says, are there any out-of-nowhere drivers like Alex Pillow last year that might be factoring in the championship this year? Or will it be usual suspects? I would say, and this is not a out-of-left-field by any means, but just for those who haven't thought of it or aren't aware, I think the main person to assert themselves in the championship that we did not have in 2021 uh, in that regard, will indeed be Romain Groschon, who, as I try to pronounce his name correctly, is that should be the guy who wasn't there since he did not do all of the races 
that should be the guy who we are definitely counting on for top 10, top five-ish uh, type performances. So one of the great questions, and I apologize that I'm forgetting who asked it in the last week or two on the show of the, hey, so top 10, sure are a lot of really talented drivers. Um, who's going to be in? Who's going to be out? Who do you knock out? to get into the top 10 in the, uh, the championship standings by the end of the year. And I would say I'm confident that Groschon will be in that space. I feel like Felix Rosenquist can be in that space. Just trying to look where else I feel like Scott McLaughlin should be there. So should Jack Harvey. So should Renus VK. So who do you move out? Right? Cause I just mentioned what five names, uh, Pelot's not leaving the top 10 new garden award. Dixon Herta, They're not Could Marcus Erickson. Maybe right. Uh, he had a great season. Those two wins of his were amazing. Also, we're not byproducts of going out and putting it on pole and stomping everybody. There was some, some misfortune of others that played into his vast fortune. Can't count on those things happening. So is Marcus ready to go out and win on pure speed? I don't know. It feels like Marcus might be one. If he's not out of the top 10, sixth might be hard for him to hold on to. Pagano, there is certainly a potential for him to be top 10 with his new team, but that's going to be an interesting one to follow. Sato, I don't expect to be anywhere close. He was 11th last year. I don't expect that to happen. Um, This is where the, I don't think, Andrew, we're going to see a ton of, quote, big surprises uh, if we're talking championship contenders. VK, if he gets back to who he was uh, last year before his crash, absolutely. Jack Harvey, if he is who we think he is, as I channel my Denny Green Arizona Cardinals press conference um, clip, uh, if Jack Harvey is who I think he is, he's certainly going to be a guy that wins at least once and is probably inside the top 10. Gosh, there's just a lot of folks that would need to stumble who don't traditionally stumble for the Harveys, McLaughlins, uh, Rosenquists, and so on. Uh, Elio Castro Neves, right? Full time now with Shank. Like, so I don't see many. I really don't. What I would say in terms of things that are interesting, Andrew, to look for doesn't meet the championship contenders out of left field criteria, but just good young talents, good new talents that could be doing some things that are are above and beyond expectation. The one that jumps out to me is David Malukas, uh, our friend and purveyor of the HMD Bar and Grill. Uh, David Malukas at Coin, uh, he and Ross Bunnell, his uh, race engineer, I I think they're going to end up doing some impressive stuff, even though David is a rookie and certainly still has a ton to learn. We expect Kyle Kirkwood to be a badass. Uh, Lungard has showed us, expect him to be a badass. Beyond that, I think the one who folks are going to go, oh, hey, uh, 
who is that? It's going to be Malukas. You know, I don't expect him to win. I don't expect a top 10 uh, championship position for him by the end of the year, but I think that's going to be a kid that IndyCar as a series is going to need to focus on more to get folks fully up to speed as to who he is because, uh, yeah, I think that kid's got something. Uh, Jameen Tuttle, MP, hope you're packed and ready for St. Pete. Guess what? I am not. <laughs> uh, I did wisely, though, Jameen, last night, Sunday night, crack open my case for video camera and microphones and charge all that stuff. So I feel like I'm slightly ahead. I uh, says, which cat travels with you? Oh, boy. Uh, if I brought Rocky, um, I would be having to dig him out of the smallest little crevices as he hides. Uh, Rocky, Rocky protects us with what we call the belly defense. And that is anytime something scary happens, he basically falls on the ground and exposes his belly so it can be rubbed and he can feel confident. If I brought Rosie with me, I would also need to bring a lawyer and a lot of cash because she would, <laughs> she is our little ass kicker. She will claw and bite any and everything just for fun. Any, like anything new that comes into the house that doesn't have teeth marks on it, got to fix that. She is not afraid of anything. Like any, if something falls that tends to make cats, pets, even people run because they don't know what just happened, she is the opposite. <laughs> no joke. She hears anything hit the ground, she runs straight for it. So, uh, I'm bringing neither one would cost me way too much and I'd get sued. And the other one, you'd never see me because I'd be having to try and get Rocky from out behind a washer or dryer stuck under the bed or something like that. Okay. Enough cat talk for this episode. Uh, Jameen says, do you have any gut feelings? Season predictions that are so crazy. You haven't shared yet. Foyt plus three cars, all of them in the top 15 in the standings. Jimmy Johnson wins long beach. He says, yours, maybe not too crazy, every RLL driver wins at least one race. And uh, RLL noses their win to the big three or big four. He says, I also think Penske struggles this year with only Joseph winning uh, and only Joseph finishing in the top ten in points. Work backwards here real quick. Yes, uh, I think I've said this on the show recently as well. It's really a bizarre thing to see... Boy, we should see Joseph doing big stuff, but it sure is a surprise. Um, surprised to see the team in a place where really it only has one driver that we know for sure uh, can win. Um, I know Will Power can win. I just don't know if he's going to be more than a guy, a guy who wins more than one race. And so again, when I'm talking winning, I don't just mean the technical act of you have won a race. I mean, New Garden's the guy that can go for a championship, go for wins, be their main combatant in the top two, three, four in the standings. I don't see that as possible with anyone else on the team right now. And that's a weird thing, right? Um we're not accustomed to seeing Penske with one hope. And so, yeah, uh, I would expect that to change sometime soon. Uh, not this year, but I don't foresee this going on too long that way. Uh, having two drivers proven capable title contenders 
that seems like something they want to fix uh, as soon as they are able to. It's also dependent on who is sitting and available on the free agent market. Um, if I'm looking at RLL, I think I've said before a couple of times here recently too that uh, I think they're going to be the biggest mover in the paddock this season. All the engineering changes and upgrades, uh, the expansion on the driver front, uh, getting, I think, some uh, maybe a better fit for teammates uh, with Graham. I think there's all kinds of great stuff that's going to happen there. Do I think we're talking title contention? I don't. If anything, that might be more of a uh, next year kind of thing. But yeah, I think they're going to be the biggest risers of the establishment. Would also say Meyershank Racing, I think, is going to go amazing places this year. But it's not kind of a... They're going from one full-time car and a part-time to two full-time cars, and they got Simon Pagano. That, that's kind of a major overhaul. I'm just more talking about where were you last year with a you know, fully developed program and where are you going this year? For Shank, wasn't fully developed. Now it is. We're going to see big steps. But, yeah. Uh, let's see. Where else? What crazy stuff do I expect? I think Sato can win a race this year. Uh, the coin organization is just the number one wild card. And so I don't know what it is. Uh, I don't know how it happens. I can't tell you the exact circumstances or the track, but I could totally see Takuma, Dale Coin Racing, Rick Ware Racing winning a race this year uh, after moving to one of the smaller outfits and despite having gone through a pretty significant talent drain uh, on the uh, engineering side. Is there anything else here from for you on this, Jameen? I think that's it. All right, Ryan Terpstra, he said, who has the hottest seat in the field in 2022? Says for hashtag me personally, it's Simon Pagano. Meyershank Racing is looking to make a big step forward, uh, and that rests on Simon's shoulders. It does. Um it certainly does. No disrespect to Elio, but everything the MSR team has been lacking, that's all contained within Pagano. Jack Harvey being a rookie, growing, developing, doing, again, really good work there. It's phenomenal. Different set of skills, though, with someone like Pagano, who's been doing this for a lot longer, helped develop young teams a team i should say actually he's done it more than once but uh primarily uh thinking about his time with uh, the schmidt hamilton schmidt peterson organization uh, simon is an exacting person does have the knowledge of everything how it is done the best way what areas are the wrong way like he is that deep deep of a thinker and that deeply embedded in an organization's operations uh, I would say slightly different from Elio, uh, who is does not have a reputation for being that kind of turnaround person. Uh, he's been a driver and a frontline driver forever. Simon's just a little bit of a different character uh, and also deeply on the engineering and technical side. So, yes, totally agree. Would say MSR's rise to wherever it goes is going to rest heavily on what Simon is able to do. He does not have the hottest seat in the field, though. Uh, I think as long as Simon just does him, 
I think uh, Mike Shank, Mary Beth Shank, Jim Meyer, they're going to be happy to have him in a full-time role for a really long time. Hottest seat? Probably Felix Rosenquist, for sure. I mean, granted, Elio, uh, you know, the team is wanting nothing more than for him to succeed and get a contract extension and stay in that car full-time. I would say that 2023 is not promised to him by any means. So he is on a, quote, prove-it contract. I don't mean like the contract says that or he's been told that from the outset, but just he's got this year, got this full-season opportunity, fully up to him to prove to MSR that he deserves another Felix Rosenquist, for sure, is in a similar, maybe even slightly harsher uh, situation. If things don't go super well with Elio at Shank for the full season, as I have written in a preview you might not have seen, it's not really even a preview, it's just kind of a, I don't know what to call it, uh, a long-form thing about each driver and what they need for the season. That's going up on racer. Um, if Elio's full season opportunity goes away at the end of the year, I am confident that he will be back, provided he wants to be back, in 23, in 24, and however many other years, at the Indy 500 in a MSR Honda. Felix Rosenquist has another bad year, a second bad year, keeping in mind that his previous, his last second and last season at Ganassi wasn't as awesome as the first. I would say if Felix struggles this year, again, I cannot fathom how that would be the case with Craig Hampson and his race engineer, but just if it were to happen, not only is he out of contract at the end of the year, I don't see anyone else stepping in to sign him. The lack of stuff last year and things not being great last year were not all his fault by any means. So it's not me picking on Felix. I love the guy. I mean, I was telling Ganassi long before he signed him, you got to sign this guy. He's amazing. So trust me, I'm, I'm as a individual, I'm a big fan of Felix. Want him around, think he's amazing, love the kid, all that stuff. But if this year is the equivalent of a fart in church, yeah, not only does he not get a new contract from Aaron McLaren SP, I don't see anyone else stepping in to keep him in IndyCar. Uh, the other is Rossi, Alexander Rossi. I know for a fact that he has interest from other teams. I've written before, said before, you name it, that not only is he in the end of his contract uh, once we get to the, the finale here in 2022, but... I've only heard that he will not be returning to Andretti. Just tell you whether he does stay at Andretti or whether he goes elsewhere. Um, his stock is still high, even though he's coming off of two bad years. That's another hot seat, Ryan. If this is, once again, something that I've written in this, what people need thing. It's one thing to be second on the Andretti depth chart to Colton Herta. That's... Not something he's been happy about since Colton arrived full-time with Andretti in 2020, but I think most understand in the paddock, most potential employers understand, like, 
hey, that hurt a guy's kind of a unicorn, right? So being P2 to him, that doesn't take a lot of shine off of you. If Groshaw asserts himself in that P2 spot, or who knows, takes over P1 from Herta, but if Rossi ends up P3, oh boy. Uh, not sure uh, what that does. In terms of positive outlook, career-wise, opportunity-wise, it's always going to be an 8,500 winner. I think that there's always going to be a market for that. Just saying, uh, if there is one mission for Alexander Rossi this year, it is to, at minimum, not lose being P2 behind Colton Herta in his team. If he can get back to being number one, that's who he was before Colton arrived. Man, I mean, he is putting millions upon millions in his uh, future earnings as a result of that. But yeah, there are some hot seats, man. Elio, Rosenquist and uh and rossi for sure i think we'll dive off here uh jeff crow says uh watch that kid in the 48 car this year i will i i so want jimmy to succeed just he's such a good person and he's such a he's one of us one of the coolest things to to learn about jimmy getting to know him better um in 2020 end of 2020 and then 2021 like he's truly one of us. He's a racer. He loves racing. He loves his family. Uh, he's like, really, uh, if he was at a motor race standing next to you and he didn't have the big NASCAR career and the seven titles and all that stuff. And it was just a guy wearing a, a hat, uh, with whatever his favorite driver was or whatever his favorite team was, uh, leaning up against the fence like you or me, you'd never know um, that he was this mercurial talent, right? That's just the coolest part. And I say that because there are some drivers, for sure, who in every facet of their life let you know that they believe they are a extraordinary human being and you are not. So Jimmy... Like he's the next door neighbor guy that comes over and brings the hot dogs and hot dog buns to the barbecue. How cool is that? Plus he's amazing at driving a race car. So I'm with you, Jeff. I want him to, uh, to have a fulfilling, uh, season. Cause I don't know if there's going to be more, uh, Jeff may you say, Marshall, what rule changes do I need to know about going into the new season? Um, I don't know of a ton, jump out I uh, saw something very recently I think about IndyCar getting a little more in-depth with push to pass and deactivating it uh, for lapped cars or let, let me just how's this giving themselves the option to take away push to pass in scenarios where those who are not in the fight again I believe it's meant to be cars that are lapped down but just in a general sense, hey, you should not be hit and pushed past to try and uh, get in the way of, of whatever's going on here among the leaders or those you know fighting for quality positions. That's maybe the main one that jumps out. I know that I wrote uh, the article talking about uh, the new light 
LED-based uh, flagging system. I know that's not a, quote, rule, but um, that I would say definitely one that jumps out is, hey, that is significantly different from how IndyCar is doing things from last year. Um, but I'm also, Jeff, going to be time-permitting uh, taking more than a cursory glance at the rule book to hopefully pull out any things that, uh, that jump out as noteworthy. And if I find those things, I'll dump them into a story. Um, staring at like five-ish things, maybe six serious things, um, in-depth, long, or whatever research-laden things that I need to do uh, in, what, less than 36 hours. So do my best as I always try to do brother, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, sometimes I wonder what my life would be like if I was, uh, quote young and single. And all I had to do was report on racing. Um, yeah, my life would be way the heck out of balance. So I'm thankful that I'm not, uh, Rishi Despond, How you doing? Rishi? Uh, don't be surprised if I reach out to you to ask some, uh, Twitter spaces questions, by the way, I was told, you might be a person who can learn me with some knowledge. It's MP, it's finally race week. Rumor from Sebring was that uh, Colton Hurtis team was feeling pretty good about their setup for St. Pete. After dominating last year and being fastest in the test, is he the obvious favorite to win? And who is a dark horse that may surprise us this weekend? So the thing that I always use as a gauge, Rishi, is assuming there are other teams at a test like that is asking them or just letting them talk or just letting them vent. And yeah, uh, there are some rivals of the Andretti team and specifically those who are trying to keep up with, if not beat Colton Herta, who were very dispirited to observe his pace at Sebring. And so on the specific St. Petersburg topic, it'd be silly to, again, as we mentioned in the open, it would be very silly if he was not put atop pretty much everybody's predicted kick butt, uh, take names, win St. Pete yet again list. But, hey, let's look at some others. Alexander Rossi, right? Uh, I think that guy probably kind of sort of would have won uh, in 2020, if not for a little mistake. So, yeah, Rossi as well has authored similar, just everybody, don't even bother. <laughs> save your fuel, save your tires. You are running for second place uh, on a street course. Like, Rossi has done that, what, more than once for sure? I'm not saying he's won all of those races. But just saying that, yeah, that's a guy who is tired of being asked, hey, man, what's wrong? What hasn't worked the last couple of years? What are you doing differently? What, 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 what? Like just bristling with, I want to shut all of you up. Just do the things that you're accustomed to me doing there for a good little while and suck it, fools. So, Knowing that Long Beach, for example, a race he's won a couple times, already mentioned St. Pete and how that could have been a pretty 
great way to close the 2020 season. Um, yeah, obviously didn't have a great race there last year, but that's the first one I'd probably put forth knowing that the Andretti team does or has found pretty happy place with its, uh, street course setups course. We'll look to Colton cause he's done so well there. Um, the last two years, but let's not sleep on his teammate. Just saying the getting off the schneid, uh, getting out of a funk, um, wearing people out <laughs> with your, uh, your awesomeness. And I think I said Colton won the last two. I apologize. Uh, he won in 2021. Um, this seems like a perfect opportunity for Rossi. Doesn't it, Rishi? Uh, I think so. Um, trying to think where else Pato, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. If the team has made gains during the off season, uh, yeah. Pato, the kid who knows no fear. Uh, oh boy. Yeah. That kid easily beyond pole lead every lap, win the whole dang thing. So I'd throw him there. Uh, Scott Dixon's never won at St. Pete to my recollection. And I, I think we have a question later about that might be below the cut line though. But I mean, Dixie has had both horrendous St. Pete's to open the season or when it was somewhere in or around the uh, start of the season, he's also had some really good finishes there as well. So I would not count him out from uh, doing something spectacular there. Joseph Newgarden, right? He and Herta are really the only two drivers, and I'm talking win, right? We'll get to Will, you know, could Will Power be on pole? Absolutely, because he's been on pole there like a million times or similar, right? But if I'm just talking drivers that have that inexplicable little extra thing, to separate themselves when needed from the rest. I mean, Dixon was that guy. I think he can still be that guy, but just in terms of evidence, having seen it and seen it recently and multiple times, uh, it is Herta and it is New Garden. Let's not sleep on New Garden. So I think there's a number of names in there, Hrishi, where, yeah, look, if Herta wins, is anybody going to be surprised? No. Is this a just hand him the trophy before first practice because there's no reason to bother? I don't think so. Let's see. Let's go uh, Mitsuki Matsura. How you doing, Mitsuki? Uh, happy race week. I'd love to know your prediction about the highest finishing rookie at St. Pete. Also, which is more difficult to overcome for rookies. Inexperience of racing at St. Pete or, say, the lack of competitiveness of the team. So one cool-ish thing I would say, uh, Tsuki, is St. Pete has definitely been a place where, hey, you might be driving for a team that's not great. <laughs> they might be kind of lousy. If you can get your traction right, if you can get this car to, to turn properly and stop properly, it's one of those tracks where there aren't... <laughs> There aren't many corners. I mean, there's like, I don't know, two where you go. Yeah, that takes a little bit of bravery and balls. And if your car is not handling right, uh, you cannot afford to, uh, to go big there. 
most of the track though it's not a giant separator of team and chassis skills compared to some others so that's why hey you're on pole person who's a rookie or hey sato you're on pole in a fight car what like cool things that i would not expect to happen at a mid ohio or even a long beach where there are definitely some corners that yeah not only do you need the car handling almost perfectly but you've got to be willing to take some risks to get maximum lap time saint pete certainly hard walls close walls you can throw it away just as easily there as anyone else but i don't think of it as a place where drivers are pushed to the brink uh at all times and therefore that's where you can see some cool breakouts so i have no idea who the top rookie is going to be i want to say kyle kirkwood um if it isn't christian lungard i'll be very surprised but uh i have no idea who the top finisher is going to be because i can't still since the start of the show my friend i still can't tell the future but i would say that yeah I won't be surprised if a Malukas, if a Kirkwood, if an Eilat, if some of the rookies, if a DeFrancesco had a good test as well, uh, Tatiana Calderon. I mean, I think all the rookies could surprise because St. Pete is a place that allows surprises more than most tracks. Uh, where are we going next? Uh, Vincent1701, you say, do you think St. Pete is a good opening showcase for IndyCar? I've never thought it wasn't only thing that can suck at times is in the absence of cautions yeah it sure seems like you watch a lot of laps where someone thinks they're going to get a run down the front straight and maybe peeks out but nothing really happens in the break zone so yeah i think it's a good showcase in terms of entertainment that's the angle i'm thinking about vincent the entertainment can be there for sure but it does involve a little bit of crashiness and running into each other and breaking things up a little bit giving uh, drivers a chance to do multiple restarts or i guess they're just starts um multiple starts teams to try and and mix up their timing of what tires to use and when and someone might surge on alternates and right if we're talking flag to flag green eh, st pete can be a little bit of a bore so but in general yeah um long beach doesn't really want to move off of that mid-april uh place it's been pretty much forever uh COVID aside i don't know where else we'd go um i would always pick a street race to open the season just because you're going to have an easier time getting people to turn out and take a look than going to uh, Monterey or Barber or something that uh, is far enough away from, from civilization to where you're a little bit limited in how many folks are willing to turn up. Uh, let's see, where else do we go here as we kind of close the looking at the season stuff a little bit? Our pal Tim Falkowitz. Tim says it's all three Road to Indy series racing this weekend. Who should we say are the drivers to watch in each of those series? 
Oh, I love it when we talk some road to Indy here. Feels like we discussed Indy Lights a little bit not too long ago. So I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll maybe close with that. Um, let's see. If we start off with USF 2000, granted, love this class. Love the. I love the fact that we often have a whole ton of dreams piled up right i don't know this is a generalism but one of the things that i've always appreciated about usf 2000 having worked in it granted it hasn't always been called usf 2000 sometimes it's just been f 2000 but uh, it's a class it's a type of racing where the whole world's in front of them and it's so cool hey you're at the first step on the the open wheel ladder it's just so cool. So I do love that. I really, really do. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think who uh, who jumps out as... I mean, I'm obviously hoping that uh, in his move to Pabst Racing, the, the really good, good person that is Augie Pabst, that Miles Rowe um, continues his development from where he was last year. The D-Force crew, Thomas Nepview, I, I will never get his last name correct, but uh, I, Thomas, I'm, I'm certainly looking at for some significant uh, moving of forwards and such. I love Jagger Jones. Is that Cape? Uh, for sure. Son of PJ Jones. I also think that uh, our pal Kevin Lee's son, Jackson Lee, certainly primed you know he's done enough mileage to where i think this could be a really good year for him it's fastest in testing so i'm i'm gotta have you know the number one spot in my mind is going to be michael Deerlando. we've had on the podcast before so yeah i mean cape capes the ogs of usf 2000 uh yeah for decades um looking at some of the options at Jay Howard's team. And I will say that I find some of them intriguing, but I'm just not quite sure if I'm saying, watch out world, we're going to destroy you. Yeah. Dear Lando, especially with uh, the good work that he did last year, I would say for sure. Um, that's my pick for uh, uh, the person to watch in USF 2000 and probably others as well. Uh, I mean, reigning USF 2000 champ got the advancement prize moved up to USF 2000. Kiko Porto from Brazil. If you're not watching Kiko, you know, again, I know he's a quote rookie there, but I think Kiko is going to impress Nolan Siegel last year. Definitely showed that he has something. I think Lewis Foster, uh, is going to, uh, do some good things. Josh Green as well, um, with turn three how's this uh, knowing how good christian brooks is i think christian's going to do some good things braid neves with uh jay howard's team this is to me really the the year if braden is not your usf 2000 champion i don't know how much more road to indying he needs I think the kid's extremely good, but 
and he's also been dealt some adversity that is unfair and not of his own making. Just say that when you're this many years into the same first and second tier, the road to Indy, um, you also think about you know the success that he's had, of course, uh, before getting injured. You know this kid winning USF 2000 title in 2019 again. Another uh, fun visit from him right after he won the championship. Um, but knowing that he did win that title in 19, this is now his third season of Indy Pro. Came up one spot short last year with exclusive autosport right place second didn't get the the advancement prize glad that he's back glad that he is with jay howard's team just saying though um he's still young still plenty to improve and develop uh i rooting for him i am rooting for him at all times if after three years an indie pro 2000 um, even though that first year was cut short due to mechanical failure and neck injuries and some really unpleasant stuff. All that stuff aside, if after three years in Indy Pro 2000, there isn't a title in hand, uh, if you don't have the money to move up to Indy Lights, it's just it's a sticky situation to be in. So definitely watching him. And assuming that Jay's team is capable of giving him a title contender, I'd say him, Christian Brooks, for sure. Like those two in particular, Kiko and Nolan as well, and Josh, that should be, uh, I think the party is going to live there, thereabouts, with those young talents. And then finally, just to close here, Tim, cool to see that we will end up having a, a really good Indy Lights grid not as deep as uh, we would hope. Obviously Carlin no longer there. Hunkos had plans but had to pull back on those plans. Continue to hear uh, from a, a friend of mine uh, across the pond that exclusive is not going to answer the bell so how many are we going to have confirmed in Indy Lights? You know it's going to be double digit. That's going to be great. Um, I was hoping we we're going to be talking 16 plus. It looks like, and I'm just counting with my, my brain here. Uh, let's see. Yeah. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. 14 ish, maybe 15. Who knows? But, uh, good numbers. Nonetheless, who, 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 as I invoke the, uh, the new day a little bit here. Um, fun to see big E leader, of the new day driving the pace cart, the, uh, NASCAR 500 at good old Daytona 500 international. Yeah. So we, we went down this road a little bit recently here. Linus Lindqvist signed back with HMD. If he doesn't win the championship, I'm going to be shocked. Matthew Brabham's the big question mark, right? We know how good he is. Fitting in with these punks, also driving a new car. Keep in mind, the last Indy Lights car he drove was before this Delara IL-15 and the AER four-cylinder turbo. So he is wicked talented and belongs in IndyCar with a great team, but he still has to learn a new car. Um, and he hasn't exactly had 20,000 tests before the season. So uh, watch Lundqvist. I Again, that kid's phenomenally good. We're talking 
ones to watch that maybe aren't instant title favorites, Tim, uh, gotta love me some Stingray Rob and Hunter McElray for sure. You have your uh, reigning Indy Pro 2000 champ, Christian Rasmussen, there at the uh, Andretti team as well. Uh, Rasmussen's one that I am watching, right? Knowing uh, that we're talking about decent number of, of Indy Lights veterans uh, he'll be going up against. Uh, he, that kid has shown that he is something very special so far on the road to Indy. Uh, I'll be intrigued to see how he fits in with some who are, you know, now second year Indy Lights drivers or similar, and whether he as a rookie is able to play um, with them at their level. I think he's going to. So Christian Rasmussen for sure. Watch, watch that kid uh, from Denmark for sure, Tim. Uh, Ernie Francis Jr. going to be watching, rooting, hoping everything goes well for him. Benjamin Pedersen. Uh, that being Lundqvist's teammate at the extended global racing group with HMD. I think Benjamin might be the, the quote revelation of the year. He was very good last year as a rookie, but I just think he's, he's got a, another gear to pull that is, is going to be really impressive. So if there's anyone that jumps out immediately as a challenger to Lundqvist, it's actually his teammate Pedersen. They did this last year, but uh, off they go again this year. Uh, Linus definitely had the edge, but will that remain? We're going to watch out. Uh, we're going to see. McElray and Stingray Rob are, are both, give me a year, two, three types to get the most. So Stingray obviously coming back, moving over from uh, Hunkos Racing. Uh, that'll be interesting. Hunter, I, I got all the time in the world for that kid. Uh, so I hope, I mean, again, I'm overstating the obvious. I hope they all do well. But yeah, uh, I think Hunter's going to stand out from time to time. But Rasmussen, Brabham, Pedersen, and Lindqvist are the ones that I uh, would say those are probably going to be vying for the championship more than others. Surprises. I'm hoping the, uh, the TJ Speed Motorsports team delivers because Kiffin Simpson... Uh, that kid, I think, is pretty darn good. James Rowe Jr. as well. I think he... Uh, is going to, I think he's got something for sure. Jacob Abel as well. I hope Jacob uh, continues. He's got a good support team around him with uh, a home team. So, yeah, I tell you, I probably mentioned a lot of names, but that's a cool thing, if you ask me. All three tiers of the road to Indy are stacked, Tim, and <laughs> can't wait, can't wait, can't wait. Sorry, I probably reached the limit on saying I can't wait, but I can't wait. Uh, Ricky Zagata, MP, just happy to see all the people behind the scenes that use racing as a form of income, getting back to the tracks from photographers to caterers, etc. It's a great thing to see. It is, yeah, don't want to be Debbie Downer here. Just really hoping that the next version of COVID doesn't start kicking everybody's butt again. So, yeah, obviously happy to see the racing that we love is kind of sort of starting to feel like we're back and it's normal and it's good. And yeah, man, just, oh, I hope, I hope, I hope this has some permanency to it. All right. Where do we, uh, where do we go next? What's, uh. What's the line of questioning we're going to take? Kevin Frederico says, defy everything. Marketing strategy is so cringy. 
especially when you think this is something the Holman George area would poop out of their marketing department, uh, which makes it more disappointing um, that this is coming in the Penske era. Like, this is the best they could come up with. Penske Entertainment needs to step up its game or uh, hire a race service to run IndyCar social media. Or Roger needs to convince Red Bull or Google to become the title sponsor for the series. Red Bull or Google can do a way better job at marketing. Plus, if they can't pull it off, well, then we can at least say nothing will work. Yeah, I mean, I've seen the the videos, some of the videos. I could only really kind of last through a couple of them. But, you know, it, it fits with what IndyCar is trying to do. You know, you got, what, New Garden uh, with chains around his neck doing pull-ups. Uh, you've got him doing push-ups with a weight, you know, whatever that, I don't know what, 45-pound weight or something weight on his back. I've seen those same videos, I think, what, last weekend, some of the NBA All-Star stuff, right, kind of a little behind the scenes. So, you know, it's fitting in. It's certainly trying to show that, hey, our drivers are athletes and they're real and that they're all kinds of things. I don't know. I've said plenty about Defy Everything and how it just, I don't don't get it. But if what we're doing is showing watchers of video content that are athletes are like everyone else's athletes and we're doing things in our videos that the other athletes in their stick and ball sports are doing. I don't know. We do something that's totally different from everybody else. Our sport is right. Different level, next level, just nothing like any of the others. I don't know. Um, making things, trying to get folks to think that our stars are just like the other stars. I don't know. I mean, I love a lot of the other sports and I don't want the racing heroes we have today to be seen as like, Oh, well, all right. Maybe there isn't much that's special about you because the things that make you special diving into the unparalleled, hand-eye coordination that you have, the speed at which the synapses fire in your brain, the decision-making that you have to come up with at one to 200 miles an hour in a fraction of a fraction of a second while a bunch of crazy folks around you all trying to do the same things as wind and temperature and whatnot affects the vehicle that you're driving and its stability. And as the vehicle changes, right? Balance moves forwards or backwards. Your tires get older and are are less effective and fuels burned off and the weight of the car fluctuates. And you're having to do so many calculations in your mind. Every second that someone's swinging a bat or pushing a ball up through the air in an arc to go through a basket or throwing a ball or trying to catch a ball. So many things that every other athlete does not have to do come even close things that really, truly 
make our drivers the men, the women, the crews, the engineers, the, 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 we have so many things in our sport where you go, Hey, <laughs> there's nothing like this, right? Even in racing, we're pretty darn unique with all the different places we go and types of racing that we do and all the different skills that are needed to be crowned as the best or rejected as the worst. Like this is really interesting stuff. I sure wish we dove into those things so folks might go, really? That's what's going on? Holy crap. That's that. Ooh, okay. That is unlike anything. When you present, talking about myself, when you present me with something that stands out as really unique, uncommon, if not total unicorn bigfoot area in something that i might have an interest in right if it's a movie where you go oh my god what is i've never seen anything like that music television books whatever sports in this case like those are the things where i gravitate towards that's insane what all right i want to go learn about that i think the average person is that way too we get overloaded with stuff every day. Look here, look here, pay attention to this, right? So little of it stands out as genuinely unique. Wow, we are armed with a ton of unique in IndyCar racing. Maybe that could be the basis for conveying that to the rest of the world. Uh, Jamie Carr, Marshall, I've seen a lot of livery reveals in the past few days. What old livery based on aesthetics would you like to see updated and on a current car? This is hashtag me personally. I think Rachel's potato chips or the purple, 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 sure. Purple Delta faucet livery would be great. Jamie Carr, I love you, man. I feel confident in saying you are the only human being ever in the history of Earth to say, I want to see that Rachel's potato chips livery come back. Having stood next to it, having seen it up close, having competed against it, lost to it uh, at the Indy 500, um, I'm just saying, a little salty because of the losing part, but just having really, truly seen it up close a lot, it just stood out as kind of a nothing burger. But if you love it, man, you know, don't let me stop you. I just, that one, it really didn't jump out to me uh, in any way. Uh, what would I love to see? I'm going to go, because, man, there are some really nice, sadly, really nice tobacco ear liveries, but let's not go with those. Um... Heck, I had Roger Work do a tune of it, of Tony Kanon's, I think, 2002, was it? Monon Racing, Reynard. Granted, it's a tobacco car, too, I guess. Hollywood cigarettes out of Brazil. But I loved that, the colors and kind of the jagged thing going on there for sure. Uh, you know, how about, I'll just make it really simple, and I think there's a question about him coming up shortly. Uh, I'm going to go with probably 94 uh, comp tech racing the uh parker johnstone acura slash honda powered lola 
it was that iconic day glow red um, and white livery. I just think that'd be so cool uh, on one of the current cars. So, yeah, I'm going to go with that. Uh, let's see. Daniel Ingleton. How you doing, Daniel? MP currently the announced Indy 500 entries. Hunko's Hollinger Racing and Callum Eilat. It's the only one-car team. So as a rookie, just how much of a disadvantage and concern would this be for both driver and team? Uh, yeah, it's going to be not easy, Daniel. So this is where Ricky uh, Hunko's is leaning in heavily to his Chevrolet relationship and saying hi. Uh, we often see the Penske cars, the whatever cars, uh, Andretti cars go out and all do drafting, um, running, and, and getting a feel for improving the car while in the draft. Uh, if there are any Chevy drafting parties going on, please, please, please let me know and let us be there and be part of it. Because otherwise... Callum's just going to have to go out and try and hunt and find what he can. So since most drivers spend the majority of the Indy 500, not in isolation, but in running, whether it's in a pack or within a close enough distance to the car in front of them to receive a draft, it's why teams don't go crazy uh, working on qualifying setups anymore because, Hey, cool. You can be in the fast nine, you can win the poll and you can get some money and get some, you know, positive sponsor stuff for about a week. But for the most part, it doesn't matter if you've got a perfect car for qualifying that cannot hang in dirty air and cannot hang while getting bounced around and buffeted and everything that goes on. So this is uh that's probably the biggest area i would say daniel where being a one car team unless ricky strikes up some form of alliance with another chevy team and granted he could technically do it with a honda team if he wanted but that's a a area that isn't great there's a, a positive here in that with the carlin racing technical alliance gaining access to all their 2021 setups and also having uh eve touron as technical director they have some real skill and they have some good data i'm not saying carlin was you know destined to win the indy 500 last year just saying that uh, carlin's oval setups in a general sense were pretty good and so i think they're going to be in good shape with that as a, a basis to start from back to your central point Man, it sure would be easy to know that you always had at least one teammate you could go draft with. Always have a teammate where if you're trying this spring rate, they're trying that spring rate, and you're comparing and contrasting. What you see, this is one of those things that if you're viewing from home on Peacock or whatever during the month of May, uh, I don't know how much of this you're going to see. But if you are there in the grandstands, um, behind the pits or staring down onto the pits from driver's right, you will see, indeed. Uh, pick a team. Uh, Ganassi 9 car, try this. The Ganassi 48 car, try that. And there will be not only communications over the comms systems, but you'll often see, maybe not a race engineer, probably technical director or, or somebody, you know, 
team leaderish, uh, entry leaderish, run down and talk to one another and say, hey, okay, hey, this is the feedback from so and so. They loved it. They hated it. Um, why don't you try this? Or hey, avoid that. We see these gatherings uh, for sure, Daniel, at either the end of the day or if there's some sort of break that's planned. And you know, you'll see all 29 and ready drivers get together and talk about stuff and on pit lanes, you know, quite often, Hey, we tried this, we tried that bit of a, a, a group download and folks can say, Oh, you know what? All right. Well, I was having this problem. And you know, you said that you tried this thing, which fixed the problem for you. We're going to try the same thing in the next outing or Hey, run away from this idea that we just sampled. Um, it's lacking that where you go, okay, you're going to develop the car as best you can as a one-car team. I'm unaware of any other technical alliance that might be coming in. Not going to be easy, but I also feel pretty good about them. Not expecting them to be troubling the top half of the field. Uh, If they qualify somewhere between 20th and 30th, I'd say be really, really happy, but... I think they've got enough good data and good people and an excellent driver, even though he doesn't know ovals, but this ILOC kid's super good, Daniel. Um, I think they're going to be okay. Not optimal, but I think they're going to be okay. And Ricky has been hardcore. Nope, we're doing one car. We're putting all of our emphasis on that period, period. Uh, He's been hit up by multiple people. Hi, we'd like to run a second car. Hi, can we give you money? Uh, hi, can we, this, can we, that, um, can we just lease a, one of your cars of which he has many? Nope. Everything's been a no. Can't have anything. Can't have anybody. Can't run with us. One car all in Calamai lot, 77 Chevy off we go. So I appreciate the fact that Ricky has a plan. Brad Hollinger has a plan and they are not going to stray from it. Uh, Dan Gallagher says, if the 2023 motor program is pushed back, does that ease engine supply concerns for the Indy 500? Uh, Also, would a chassis announcement for 2024, 2025 help or hurt? I don't know if the motor, if we have the uh, hybrids pushed to 24 and we end up sticking with the current 2.2 liter motors for next year. I don't know if that changes a lot. I think what would change potentially is teams hearing if IndyCar were to make that choice to push the motors back to 2024, if that's what the engine manufacturers said they wanted. I think what might change things if IndyCar said, all right, well, since we do have this extra time, Delara, get going, get cranking. Let's make that new chassis happen for 24 as well. I think that might be the trigger point dan for next year's indy 500 for teams like a hunkos and some others who could be sitting on a whole stockpile of, of potentially worthless dw12s at the end of the year uh maybe some of them would be more interested interested in saying yeah you can buy you can lease right you're not i'm not selling you my one and only spare chassis of course because i want that in case we have a an accident but you know, if we've got that third car, that fourth car, whatever, yeah, absolutely, come and get it because there's no reason to hoard when you know something new is uh, coming. Plus, selling some of those unneeded chassis definitely help you to acquire some of the new ones. 
Uh, all right, we're going to wind down here pretty quickly. Maddie McDonald. Hey, doing, Maddie? Uh, talking about watching some footage from the OG 1911-8500 on YouTube. Notice the bank in the turns changes as you go up the track, getting steeper towards the wall. It says, I'd always heard the banking angle had stayed the same since the beginning, 9.2 degrees. Uh, since that's obviously not the case, when did this change? Where did the 9.2 come from? And why have I been lied to? Can I use a lifeline to call um, Donald Davidson? Um, I don't know, brother. Uh, again, I'm sure I could look it up. I'm sure I could reach out to uh, Donald. Um, can I tell you, I have had to think his name every time I say it, meaning it doesn't just come right out because I deal with mild dyslexia sometimes um i shouldn't say sometimes i deal with mild dyslexia and i have wanted to call that man david donaldson since the moment i learned him and it has never changed in my brain no matter the thousand times i've said his name the hundred plus conversations i'd had with him whatever the number is like his name is donald not david his last name is david davidson not donald's donald david david no joke not saying this to be funny like so anyways um i still have to fight that now so i wish i could call donald davidson uh it is oh it's well past his bedtime so i don't know brother i apologize i don't know why they've lied to you but yes that was a thing not just at indy but at some other ovals like the increasing amount of banking in the turns was a thing and I don't know, I'm guessing there are probably too many crashes and fatalities. And maybe someone said, you know, maybe we just keep this kind of constant uh, until we pour out of the corner and it levels out. Maybe, yeah, maybe we don't ratchet it up too much uh, higher and higher. And higher. Let's, yeah, okay. Uh, I'm guessing that's probably why. Uh, let's see, Greg Sakor. How you doing, Greg? Been a little while since I read one of your questions. Marshall, wondering these past few years about traditional Indy 500 grid of 33 cars. It says with 35, 36, 37 entrants, it's not going to be 37. Uh, what do you think of the notion of allowing all to qualify if their speed is within 107% of the pole speed? Uh, it says, I like bumping too, but Robin Miller seemed to be supportive of a larger starting grid for commercial considerations. I tend to agree. Curious what you think. Best to you and the cats and your wife. Thanks, Greg. Eh, no. Uh, never wanted it. Never, ever, 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 um, partook in my first Indy 597 when 35 cars were allowed to start. Uh, it just, this is a race where on a annual basis with rare exception, a couple times in recent years, but pretty much no question that there are going to be more folks who want to participate in the race than there are starting grids that have been traditionally made available. And tradition is something to me that its importance varies on the subject. I don't believe that all things that have happened before should be maintained because they're, it's a tradition. Like, no, that's stupid. We'd never make progress ever in life if we just held on to everything that happened before but i do appreciate the fact that since it is the biggest race 
and there has often been oversubscription for the amount of entry uh, amount of spots in the field that there is a merit based cutoff so the flip side to this which you're making and which I know Robin made at times and he also privately railed against too so you know like many of us we can change our opinions and flip-flop and whatever but seems to me that you open that door you allow that mindset to stick how do you ever go back I mean, this does become a everybody gets a trophy approach to our biggest most important america's most storied and prestigious race i know that they've won and stolen and won the the slogan war daytona 500 the great american race kiss my ass <laughs> it, it's a baby of a race compared to the indy 500 nonetheless the indy freaking 500 even if it is uh, no longer as popular as it once was and all that blah 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 it is the indy freaking 500 and since we have had a governor in place you gotta be able to perform at this minimum level to get into the race and it varies again every year who knows what the the 33rd fastest speed is going to be but it does strike me that you open this up and say well hey there's it's just 34 just 35 this year they should get in okay well what about what if we went back what if we get to 45 entries got three manufacturers involved each of them 15 cars 45 entries for the indy 500 argument must be the same right doesn't matter whether it's 34 or 44 hey you were able to pay the fairly nominal entry fee cool you get to race in the indy 500 if that is the only thing required to take part in the show and i know you've mentioned the 107 percent pole speed the cars are so close so fast right like there's not a real massive variance so you know unless we're talking about 103 percent or some really hard number to you know hit for those 34th and beyond type entries yeah uh, i don't believe you should be able to participate in what i consider to be the biggest race in the world i know the 24 hours of le mans is the other and others consider that to be it again no argument either way uh, i agree with both sides but just talking since this is the week in indycar it's the biggest race in the world y'all and if the only thing you need to be able to participate is to pay again a fairly small entry fee compared to what it costs to run for the month and knowing that these cars with capable drivers right rc enerson failed to qualify last year was trimmed out as can be had taken everything off the car possible that made downforce uh, that made drag foot to the floor car like i mean truly this they could do nothing more to improve the car's speed in its form 
He ended up failing to qualify, but not qualify, but didn't fail by some giant amount. It was actually pretty darn small. Tiniest team in the field with a car that was received, that was barely ready, did barely any practice, wasn't prepared for the race with body fit and all the mechanical uh, drag reduction and the polishing of bearings and races and just right all the things that make the pole car very different from last place. It had none of the things to make it excel at Indianapolis Motor Speedway and RC again barely failed to qualify. So if that is the standard we're setting. Oh no, 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 no. So yeah. Um, uh, you open that door, everyone gets a trophy. I don't know. Uh, I probably start to lose interest in the Indy 500, having it as something that folks aspire to be part of and know that they must indeed be excellent to get in. That's part of what makes it what it is. Uh, the spannerer from Reddit says Martinsville. 200 miler. What's not to like about the idea? IndyCar needs more ovals. I don't see another super speedway getting a look for safety reasons. Martinsville being a flat oval be a different challenge. Add it to the dumb ideas pile or the we don't talk about Cleveland pile. Hey, I'm in. Uh, I'm all in the spannerer. Uh, I've never been to Martinsville. So the idea of doing a 200 miler there with IndyCar, seriously, I love it. Um,. Just about done here. Nick Dovniak. How you doing, Nick? MP, last week you mentioned that Firestone doesn't make a specific a, a red tire uh, available to folks for Sebring. Uh, does this mean that the uh, primary Firestones are all the same, or are they made specific for Sebring? Apologize, Nick. I might have failed to explain good. Uh, Firestone makes reds available nowhere for testing. Um the tires that are used at Sebring would not be specific to Sebring. Uh, I don't know which street race they would be uh, from, but I would have to assume that whatever Firestone is bringing to St. Pete would probably be the, uh, the primaries that were used and are used at Sebring, since Sebring tends to be the place where street course racing, street course setups uh, are developed rather heavily. Granted, there's also standard national terrain road course uh, items that are tested there too. But yeah, so reds nowhere outside of the races. And certainly Firestone w- does not make a Sebring-specific tire. Uh, Robbie Berggren, this is the uh, Parker Johnstone reference. It says, Marshall's watching the 1997 race. I don't know what race that was, but uh, the or a 1997 race couldn't help but appreciate how strange Parker Johnstone's path to IndyCar was, and how we'll never see another driver uh, uh, progress or make progress from being a winner in the SCCA runoffs and a front-wheel drive door slammer to an IMSA champion to an IndyCar podium finisher. Yeah, you uh, you got a great point. There are some out there, though, right? Don't don't totally discount the fact that there have been some some pretty cool stories like that. Randy Lanier being one of them, kind of a, a self-built Porsche junker, uh, and then moving up in speed through uh, in that racing in, in SCCA and then moving to uh, big, crazy, powerful 
GT prototype-ish type things and then full prototypes and then IndyCar. Um, and there are a lot of, a lot of drivers like that. I mean, if we're talking very much out of left field, that used to be the cool thing that we saw at the Indy 500 of here's a driver with great skills or skills developed totally somewhere else. And they want to try their hand at Indy, you know, uh, Hurley Haywood, what 90, 1977, I think 78 in a, with a Chevy V six turbo. <laughs> what? And, uh, yeah, you know, sports car legend, Lamar legend dr- driven little tiny Porsches and bigger and faster Porsches and cetera. And, Think about all the, the NASCAR drivers who oval, oval supreme talent, but knew nothing about uh, spindly little open wheel cars. Uh, you know, there's, I'll bet you there's probably someone who I'm forgetting who was an amazing, whether lake or offshore boat racer. I guarantee, you know, Jacques Villeneuve, not, uh, not the son of Gilles, but, uh, Gilles' brother, Jacques, you know, the, the two Villeneuve brothers getting their start in ice racing on skidoos and other things, and Jacques being the one who, granted, went all over the place, open wheel, Can-Am, sports cars, you name it, but also IndyCar. And you go, yeah, <laughs> skidoo ice racing to the Indy 500 or wherever other IndyCar races, I should say. Like, So I do love that stuff. Parker absolutely fits right in. Uh, always got time for him. All right. Um, very important question here. Uh, comes from Connor Hazel, 98 on Reddit. Marshall, whatever happened to the great rivalry between the rookie phenom Jimmy Bly and the vet Bo Brandenburg? First of all, I need to, uh, need to correct you here. Jimmy Bly wasn't a rookie, right? He, he was a sensation. But uh, kind of came out of nowhere, as I seem to recall, uh, Paul Page saying. Uh, but yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a rookie. Apparently, he, uh, he got the nod to a bigger opportunity from uh, what I seem to recall. Anyways, as you mentioned, seemed like their careers all but fizzled out. Um, after that uh, biopic was done in the early 2000s. Joking, of course. No, no, in my world, they exist. Uh, so as if you could, think back to dating. Uh, think back dating. God, my brain's dying here. Think back dating to the 1970s and give us one rivalry between two drivers that stood out in your mind. For example, the hatred the Toronto crowd had when, say, the French fry cut off Paul Tracy and took his wing off coming out of the pits. Other clashes they had. P.S. My father owns a bar outside of Toronto and wants to bring in some cases of bush light for the Meyershank boys. They are our favorite team, and this year will be our first time seeing them. That is great to hear, Connor Hazel 98. Should also mention that I spoke with uh, the Green Savory Race Promotions folks today, asked them how things are going in Toronto, and was told, awesome. Like, we expect to have a great, fantastic, amazing event. A lot of major sporting events are uh, kicking off in the greater Toronto area. Things are getting back to normal. Hopefully border crossings and uh, bridges and stuff aren't blocked by trucks uh, by the time we get there. But just a little FYI that it sounds like everything is is going wonderfully uh, for getting Toronto back. 70s rivals. I mean, there's also 60s rivals and and whatnot. But uh, although Mario was starting, you know, definitely 
pretty heavy F1 guy throughout the 70s. Just the, the, that's a, that's a movie to make. That is our IndyCar, Indy 500, Ford versus Ferrari. Foyt versus Andretti. Um, and you could continue that into the 80s, go second generation with uh, Andretti versus Unser's. Um, heck, you could do Unser's in the 70s as well. Or Uncle Bobby being the old rabble of rousers. Um, also Al, just more of a, a badass guy. But, I mean, there are some other, like, sub rivalries and cults but this to me really does always stand out as the wow mario trying to be the classy guy would never really try to acknowledge it try to make peace try to you name it but Foyt just yeah did not cotton on to mario andretti uh mario also was pretty darn good at uh granted not necessarily at the indy 500 but uh, mario was a, a constant thorn in his side so I mean, that wasn't unique just to the 70s. Uh, that was also in the 60s, too. But, yeah, I'd love to see that movie. Uh, and big old lamb chop, sideburns, and all kinds of stuff. Comb-overs going on, and bell-bottom, not just jeans, but uh, pantsuits and uh, vests. Oh, boy, I would love to see it. Um, so, yeah, that's what comes to mind here. Uh, going to rattle through a couple more very quickly and then say goodbye. Austin Sutton says, unrelated to race week, but I've heard it's a five-year plan in place, see, for new chassis, see. Have you heard anything? I have not, sadly, Austin. I hope to hear more. But so far, the only thing I can tell you, see, is there's a five-year plan. <sighs> I told you Jay Fry hasn't exactly returned any of my calls lately. Uh, I think someone played him that clip and that probably made him say, screw that guy. Yeah, I'm not talking to Prude anymore. See, he's a real jerk. You know what I mean? He's, he's got to go. Uh, 23 skidoo scram kid. You're out of here. We don't like you no more. You're bad for IndyCar. You're bad for life. Got to leave the planet. See, and I've got a five-year plan to make it happen. Uh, <laughs> uh, Captain Conrad. Well, look at that. We've got, uh, Either someone who's in charge of a ship or someone in the military. Oh, we'll just call uh, that person Ryan Moore. That's what are you most looking forward to this season, Pruitt? I just got to go selfish here and make it a hashtag me personally answer because it is truly what I'm looking forward to most of the season. And it is being able to cover IndyCar in person this season for the first time continuously for about three years. So... I'm really looking forward to that, and I'm also dreading it because it means being away from my wife. And no, that's not just being said to try and get some of you to say, oh, it's true. So although we've been together nonstop uh, since she uh, got sick, one of the blessings, greatest blessings other than her health continuing to improve is the fact that I have been able to and we have been able to be together every day in a way that adults normally don't get to do um, with work and all the other responsibilities uh, can sometimes be a little bit like ships passing in the night. And so here, uh, wow. So I love that I get back 
some of what I've been craving to have. But I am also honestly, uh, I am not looking forward to being away from her. So I think more than ever, it's going to be a heck of a bunch of FaceTiming going on and all that. Um, what else do I take here before we say goodbye? Hire Lee from Reddit. Uh, what type of adjustments can teams make in the gearboxes, gear ratios, gear size? Uh, the ratios are kind of, that is the, the sizing difference, both in teeth and diameter. So yes, gear ratio changes um, within the gearbox as well. Differentials can be changed. So not just type of differentials, uh, going to a spool for ovals and some form of limited slip for road and street courses, but also you can modify the uh, LSDs, um, which affects all kinds of handling parameters. Um, So yeah. Those are the things that you can change. Uh, you also ask who makes it all. That would all be done by extract. Uh, teams cannot make their own stuff here. Um, then you say, even if teams did make their own, how would IndyCar know during the inspection process? It's a good question. Um, I mean, they could say, hey, pull one of the side cases off and uh, let's take a look, but that isn't something that happens too much. Granted, could there be a little bit of weight maybe optimized and taken out and given a little bit of a uh, advantage? Maybe, but yeah, uh, I don't know. Um, I'd hate to think of the repercussions. Uh, Ricky Zagata, why don't we, let's see, the Flash 947, you say, if Rossi, Hurd, and Devlin, uh, I'll leave Andretti's IndyCar team over the next couple of seasons, who do you expect alongside Kirkwood to fill those spaces? You said next couple of seasons, so I have no idea because it's hard to predict who's still going to be here, who might retire, uh, who might be coming in. You know, are we talking a Lundqvist, a Rasmussen, a D. Orlando, uh, Lewis Hamilton? I have no idea. Um, really hard to say, you know, uh, if we're talking next year, yeah, uh, I think we're going to see Kirkwood. Um, but other than the rest, Hard to say the Flash 947 just because a couple of years from now, people's contracts, who's available, who's not. Uh, really hard to say. So, Ricky, we're going to close with yours. It says, with Goodyear making LMP2 and new NASCAR tires, any talk of Goodyear aiming to come back to IndyCar? Haven't heard anything. I uh, should also mention that Goodyear purchased, for those who don't know, about a year, a little over a year ago, purchased Cooper Tires. So, Goodyear being the parent company of uh, one of our two primary sponsors. So I've heard nothing. I think you'd be hard-pressed to get IndyCar team owners to say, yes, let's go away from Firestone. Always the same thing, drivers as well. It is a quality, safe, known product, and that's not something to monkey with. Um, Final here, Ed Joris, which is easier and less complicated to implement, Hybrid powertrains or LED information panels? Clearly, Ed, it's LEDs. Um, There's a company that's currently assigned to make the hybrid power units. There is no company willing to take on IndyCar's LED information panel challenge. And off we go. Daniel Summersgill, thanks for yours about Dixon uh, and a couple others. Uh, I think Lance Snyder as well. Um, I'm going to defy your questions. Uh, 
And I'm going to say goodnight. I'm going to go get dinner ready for us. I'm Marshall Pruitt. This is our Marshall Pruitt podcast. Weekend IndyCar listener Q&A show brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. I don't know if it's going to be Monday night, but Monday night or Tuesday night next week, guess what? We're going to get to talk about things that actually happened that are newsworthy and interesting because a motor race took place. Winners and losers were documented. People got mad. People got happy. We're not talking theoreticals. We're not coming up with stuff to, to talk about. We've got real stuff coming. I'm so happy. Uh, Prude rocks at gmail.com, IndyCar Fantasy League, or just make some new friends in racing and have a good time. Twitter spaces, hopefully. Uh, hashtag MP show me. We'll speak to y'all next week. <laughs>